Hello and welcome to An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. We explore the Book of Mormon with the assumption that science worked the same then as it does now and that the characters are real people with the same types of feelings and tendencies as you and me today. The views and opinions expressed here are strictly those of the narrator and should not be considered official interpretations in any way. And now An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. Hello and welcome back. Today's video covers Alma chapter 30, and this chapter tells the story of the Book of Mormon's third antichrist named Korahor. Our trivia question relates to Alma 31, which we will cover next time. After dealing with Korahor, Alma and the sons of Mosiah will go to preach to the Zoramites, but they will leave one of Mosiah's sons in Zarahemla to look after the church. And that was the question. When Alma's group went to preach to the Zoramites to prevent them from joining with the Lamanites, which of Mosiah's sons stayed in Zarahemla? The question is answered in Alma 31, verse 6. Therefore he took Ammon and Aaron and Omner, and Himni he did leave in the church in Zarahemla, but the former three he took with him, and also Amulek and Zeezrom, who were at Melech, and he also took two of his sons. So when Alma gathered his all-star group to preach to the Lamanites, Himni stayed behind. All right, now for chapter 30. In this chapter, we meet Korahor. He's the third Antichrist in the Book of Mormon. The first two were Sherem and Nehor, who we met in Jacob 7 and Alma chapter 1. Korahor, it says, arrived in Zarahemla and, quote, began to preach unto the people against the prophecies which had been spoken by the prophets concerning the coming of Christ. His preaching was not illegal, because only the commission of actual crimes, such as murder, robbery, and adultery, was illegal. There was no law against holding or even professing beliefs. What's interesting to me about Korahor is how similar his views on religious teachings are to those of modern people that we hear every day. Here's verse 13. O ye that are bound down under a foolish and a vain hope, why do ye yoke yourselves with such foolish things? Why do ye look for a Christ? For no man can know of anything which is to come. Behold these things which ye call prophecies, which ye say are handed down by holy prophets. Behold, they are foolish traditions of your fathers. How do you know of their surety? Behold, ye cannot know of things which ye do not see, therefore ye cannot know that there shall be a Christ. Any of that sound familiar? No one can know the future. Religious guidelines are restrictive and foolish. You cannot know things that you cannot personally observe or test, or maybe you can't know something without proof. He continues in verse 16. You look forward and say that you see a remission of your sins, but behold... It is the effect of a frenzied mind, and this derangement of your minds comes because of the traditions of your fathers, which lead you away into a belief of things which are not so. In plain English, he said that they were crazy and had been brainwashed by their parents. Ever hear that one before? Verse 17, And many more such things did he say unto them, telling them that there could be no atonement made for the sins of men, but every man fared in this life according to the management of the creature. Therefore, every man prospered according to his genius. 
and that every man conquered according to his strength, and whatsoever a man did was no crime. There is no right or wrong. How well you do in life depends on your genius, your strength, and how well you manage yourself. If you do better than someone else because you're smarter, stronger, or manage yourself better, there's nothing wrong with that. And you don't have to go very far to find modern-day people teaching that same message, Korahor's message. How many times have you heard someone say, If I have more, it's because I work harder. So, let me ask a question, and I would be interested in hearing your thoughts in the comments. What is wrong with the statement, If I have more, it's because I work harder? Or, If I conquer or do better than someone, it's because of strength, brains, or more effective use of resources or more ambition. If that's Korahor's teaching and if that's the wrong way to look at things, what's the right way? I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Then in verse 18, Korahor told his followers that life was short and not to be embarrassed about doing what they wanted to do, that they should, quote, lift up their heads. Down in verse 28, he said the people didn't dare to, quote, make use of that which is their own, lest they should offend their priests. He used teachings such as these to lead away many women and also men to commit whoredoms, telling them that when a man was dead, that was the end thereof. Korahor reminds me of a syndicated radio DJ who was on the air several years ago. This DJ, whose name is best forgotten, advised his listeners against pursuing a family life, and instead encouraged them to seduce as many people as they could. He taught them that becoming wealthy, as he had done, was desirable because it positioned you to attract, seduce, and destroy more people. Revenge on those who restricted or obstructed you was a noble pursuit. Anyway, after preaching in Zarahemla, Korahor took his message to Ammon's people in the land of Jershon. They were, quote, more wise than many of the Nephites. Despite Korahor's preaching being technically legal, they bound him and carried him before Ammon, who was the high priest in the land. And Ammon responded by ordering that he should be carried out of the land. Let's pause for just a second. Remember back in Alma 17 when Lamoni asked Ammon, if he desired to live among his people, and he answered, Yea, and perhaps until the day I die? It seems he might have gotten his wish, because after his mission ended, here he was, living among the Lamanites in Jershon as their high priest. So, after being carried out of Jershon, Korahor traveled to Gideon, where the people were also unreceptive. They brought him before Gedona, their high priest, for questioning. Verse 22, And it came to pass that the high priest said unto him, why do ye go about perverting the ways of the Lord? Why do ye teach this people that there shall be no Christ to interrupt their rejoicings? Why do ye speak against all the prophecies of the holy prophets? Korahor responded that the high priest used religion to usurp power over the people while keeping them in bondage and ignorance. Does that sound familiar? Anyway, they taught ancient prophecies to the people, he said, without knowing whether they were really true. They made innocent people feel guilty and fallen. They preached of Christ's future coming and sacrifice, but, quote, I say that ye do not know there shall be a Christ. All these teachings duped the people into serving the religious leaders, allowing them to 
go at themselves with the labors of their hands. He criticized the church's opposition to whoredoms, like we said previously, saying that because of religious teachings, the people durst not make use of that which is their own, lest they should offend their priests. And he also said, if they did not do according to their words, offend some unknown being who they say is God, a being who never has been seen or known, who never was nor ever will be. Gedona realized that talking to Korahor wasn't going to get him anywhere. He caused Korahor to be bound and he sent him before Alma, the high priest, and Nephiha, the chief judge. It appears that his conversation with them was public, with many in attendance. Pleased, perhaps, to have such a large audience in Zarahemla, Korahor continued with the same great swelling words as before. But Alma was not impressed. He began by saying that Korahor's statement about the church leadership glutting themselves on the labors of the people was simply false. Despite his many travels and labors for the church, he said he had never received a senine for his labor. Neither had any of the church's leaders, unless they were also a judge, in which case they were compensated for their time working as a judge. He then asked, if we are not paid for our preaching, then what motive could we possibly have other than to rejoice with our brethren? Do you think that we are simply motivated, he asked, by the desire to deceive, and the act of deceiving is what brings us joy? And Korahor answered him, Yea. Next, Alma asked Korahor whether he believed in a god. When Korahor responded that he did not, Alma modified his question, asking whether Korahor would deny the existence of God in Christ. In my opinion, it's one thing to lack certainty or to lack belief about God, but it's quite another to actively deny his existence. To actively deny his existence requires some evidence, but as Alma pointed out, there can be no evidence that a thing does not exist. Alma continued by saying that not only did he, Alma, know that there was a God, but he knew that Korahor believed as well. But Korahor had chosen to put off the Spirit of God that it may have no place in him. Korahor then played his trump card, one that is commonly played today. Although these are not his exact words, he said, I'm a reasonable guy. I just want a little evidence. If you can show me one small, single scrap of evidence of what you are saying is true, then I'll believe it. It appears that Alma snapped at Korahor. You want evidence? Witnesses are admissible in court as evidence, and your audience is full of witnesses. You have written statements from prophets in the scriptures. You're surrounded by God's creations. Even the regular motion of the planets is evidence of a supreme creator. And you expect these people to ignore all this evidence and believe your unsupported testimony that God does not exist. Korahor responded, Yea, I will deny, except he shall show me a sign. I've wondered why Korahor persisted in demanding a sign. In my opinion, he continued asking for a sign because he was convinced that he wasn't going to get one. As he knew, that simply is not how God works. We're sometimes blessed with miracles, such as healing, visions, prophetic knowledge, and so on. But these are the result of, rather than the basis for, faith and obedience. By contrast, compliance with Korahor's teachings is easy and provides immediate satisfaction. In demanding a sign, Korahor was mocking the gospel. 
implying that those who follow the gospel are mindlessly following routines or rituals created by other people. Sometime between 16 and 26 years earlier, this same Alma, who was questioning Korahor, had secretly gone around trying to destroy the church with the sons of Mosiah until an angel appeared, shook the earth, and from Alma 36.9, personally threatened Alma with destruction, saying, If thou wilt of thyself be destroyed, seek no more to destroy the church of God. I wonder, did Alma see a younger version of himself in Korahor? In Alma 29, Alma verbalized a wish for an angel's earth-shaking power. Perhaps here again he wished for that power so that he could rescue Korahor from his course. Verse 46, And now it came to pass that Alma said unto him, Behold, I am grieved because of the hardness of your heart. Yea, that you will still resist the spirit of the truth, that thy soul may be destroyed. Alma told Korahor that he would give him a sign. If he denied God's existence again, God would smite him and leave him unable to speak. Korahor backpedaled a little bit. He said that he did not deny God's existence, but he insisted that neither he nor Alma believed, and unless Alma showed him a sign, he would never believe. And seeing that he could do no more, Alma gave in. Verse 49, Now Alma said unto him, this will I give unto thee for a sign, that thou shalt be struck dumb, according to my words. And I say that in the name of God, ye shall be struck dumb, and ye shall have no more utterance. When Alma said this, Korahor became both deaf and dumb. But he was able to write, and he wrote a confession. He wrote that he had always known that there was a God, but said the devil deceived him by appearing in the form of an angel, and taught him what to say. As he teached the devil's message that there was no God, he had so much success that he began to believe his own message. And that was why he argued against the truth, and as a result, he was now deaf and dumb. Whether Korahor was telling the truth here or not, we will never know. But it seems to me that he felt panicked about losing his voice, rather than feeling remorseful or penitent. He asked Alma to pray to God to restore his ability to hear and speak. Alma replied that if Korahor's curse were removed, he would continue misleading the people. Quote, Therefore it shall be unto thee, even as the Lord will. And apparently removing the curse from Korahor wasn't the Lord's will. Verse 56 says, And it came to pass that the curse was not taken off of Korahor, but he was cast out and went about from house to house, begging for his food. Nephi Ha, who was the chief judge, sent a proclamation throughout the land warning Korahor's followers that they should speedily repent or risk a similar fate. The narrator then neatly wrapped up the story and put a bow on it. He said, They were all convinced of the wickedness of Korahor, therefore they were all converted again unto the Lord, and this put an end to the iniquity after the manner of Korahor. While begging for food, Korahor drifted into a group of apostate Nephites called Zoramites, and we'll meet these Zoramites in the next few chapters. As he went among them, he was trampled to death. And now it's time for our trivia question. This might be an easy one. In the next video, Alma and his all-star group of missionaries will teach the Zoramites. The Zoramites, in their weekly worship service, would climb onto a high platform and take turns thanking God for making them better than their brethren. 
and sorry, I just find that interesting. Worshiping by rejoicing in being more blessed than someone else. That sounds a lot like Korahor's doctrine. Isn't it interesting that when he lost his voice, it was to these people that he went. Perhaps he was returning there because they'd previously embraced his teachings. We don't know. That's 100% pure speculation. Anyway, the Zoramites had a high platform where they bragged about being chosen by God. What did the Zoramites call the platform from which they boasted? And we will see you next time.